To the Land of Desire, a podcast about the weird, wacky, and wonderful stories of French history. I'm your host, Diana, and before we kick off today's episode, I want to say two things to all of you. Number one, thank you. And number two, wow. The anniversary episode was a ridiculous success, and once again, I am completely blown away by all the support that the listeners of this show are willing to offer. You shared the podcast with friends and family. You read my new Medium series about how to create your own podcast. And most amazing to me, you contributed to my Patreon account. In fact, you guys are already hitting some of my fundraising milestones, so I have some rewards to start creating. For those of you listening for the first time, The Land of Desire is a one-woman show. I write, research, and produce every episode in my spare time, so your support and contributions go a long way towards keeping the show sustainable. Also, I'll be selecting the winner of our anniversary contest this week and contacting them soon. My apologies for the slight delay in choosing a winner. Okay, time for some real content. This week, I'm kicking off another loosely-themed miniseries. So many of you wrote in to say that you want to learn about regions besides Paris, and I couldn't agree more. So this week, we're going off the beaten track, way off the beaten track, with a story about hidden treasures, ancient history, and one of France's most beloved native species. Let's go wild! In this week's episode, The Caves. One morning in September of the year 1940, four teenage boys and their dog set out to explore the forest near their home in the Dordogne region of France. Once, the river Dordogne had left its mark here, carving a steep valley out of the mountains. Millions of years later, the valley was covered in a thick forest, and the river's hidden legacy protected the men, women, and children of the nearby villages. As the river water trickled its slow path back to the sea, it dug into cracks and holes in the ground, and it seeped into the earth, pooling and then sometimes collapsing. What was left behind, hidden deep in the mountains, were secret spaces and quiet sanctuaries. The caves. While the German army occupied the north, early fighters in the French resistance fled south and took refuge in this dense network of caves. But the four teenage boys and their dog didn't know anything about the resistance. They were on a hunt for treasure, which local legend always said was buried somewhere in them thar hills up in the caves. If only you could stumble upon the right one. And stumble upon it, they did. Some legends say that the boy's dog, Robot, chased a rabbit down a hole. Others say the boys discovered the hole on their own. What everyone agrees upon is this. Marcel Ravida, an 18-year-old apprentice at the local mechanic shop, 
took it upon himself to climb down into a small hole in the ground. Though he didn't know it at the time, this hole in the ground was new. A year earlier, a tree had been uprooted in a winter storm and it took the earth with it. It was pitch black in the cavern, and Marcel didn't get the impression of anything but an eerie sense of vast space. Noting the location of their intriguing new discovery, the boys returned a few days later, carrying Marcel's grease gun from the mechanic shop to light the way. What the boys saw left them speechless. For the next week, the boys kept their discovery a secret until they finally told the local art professor what they had found. A few years after World War II ended, Life magazine sent its photographer, Ralph Morse, to take the first photographs of the astonishing discovery. When we first went down, Morse recounted later, there were no steps. You slid down on your rear end on a piece of wood or the bare earth. It was a challenging project, getting the generator, running wires down into the cave, lowering all the camera equipment down on ropes. But once the lights were turned on, wow. Covering the caves in hues of red, yellow, black, and brown were what have now simply become known as the cave paintings of Lascaux. Grinding colors out of the clay or the sides of the caves themselves, early humans painted, sketched, and even airbrushed their known world nearly 20,000 years ago. Bulls, deer, and man are represented here, sometimes in full length, and sometimes represented by a simple, haunting handprint. Nearly 1,000 paintings spread out over a 650-foot-long network of caverns. One animal, in particular, dominates the cave. More than any other creature represented at Lascaux, the walls are covered with horses. Some 300 miles south of Lascaux, hooves splash where the Rhone River meets the sea. Here, in the little-known region of Camargue, some of the world's last wild horses roam free. They're instantly recognizable by their coats. Camargue horses are born with dark brown fur, which gradually lightens into pure white. There have always been horses in Camargue, from the days of Napoleon, who requested 300 of them for the Battle of Italy, to the Crusades, when the Knights Templar would ride no other animal, to the Roman Empire, whose chariots were pulled by the horses of Camargue, back all the way beyond history itself. The wild horses of Camargue are one of the oldest breeds of horse in the world, descended from a prehistoric breed of horse known as the Solutre. As the story goes, long ago, a man fleeing a rampaging bull threw himself into the sea to escape. The sea foam took the shape of a pure white horse, which vowed, I will never be your slave, but your friend. Today, the horses of Camargue are prized as sturdy workhorses and they're cared for, 
at least as much as anyone can care for a wild horse, by French cowboys known as the Gardiens. Georges Vlassy, director of the Maison de Cheval Camargue, has ridden horses all his life. You have to ride horses, he told National Geographic. Otherwise, you're not a Camargue man. While the local breeders' association technically owns the horses in a legal sense, this doesn't translate to much on the ground. They're wild because they live in freedom, Georges said. We don't give them artificial food, and there's no help on hand when they give birth. They never come inside, even when it's snowing. Today, the horses of Camargue are protected, living in a vast natural preserve. But life was not always so easy for these horses. For prehistoric hunter-gatherers, wild horses were a man's meat, not his steed. 10,000 years before the domestication of the horse, humans hunted horses for food. In Solutre, early humans hunted the horse across the French countryside, slaughtering thousands of them every year. Horses were usually the difference between life and death to the hunter-gatherers of this era, and when their most skilled artists picked up their knife, their charcoal, or their hollowed-out bird bones, horses received the greatest amount of real estate and respect. In 1948, the Lascaux Caves opened to the public. As National Geographic wrote at the time, the Lascaux Cave has surpassed all others in one respect. On its walls, fresh as the day cavemen of at least 20,000 years ago outlined them on the rugged rock, is the finest collection of prehistoric drawings ever found. The world was spellbound by the caves, and tens of thousands of people traveled through the caves within its first decade. Pablo Picasso visited the caves with a guide, and he walked away, shaken, muttering, We have invented nothing. But as it turns out, there really is such a thing as too much publicity. All of a sudden, an environment which had maintained a delicate equilibrium for 20,000 years found itself confronted with the 20th century. Before long, the walls were coated in bacteria, fungus, and algae, forming a green slime. Caves which had only held one or two prehistoric artists at a time now faced a huge mass of humans, whose very breath was overwhelming the environment of the cave. Carbon dioxide, along with heat, humidity, and the gunk on everyone's shoes, wore away at the paintings. In 1863, less than two decades after their unveiling to the public, the Lascaux paintings were sealed off. Since then, conservationists have tracked the interior conditions of the cave closely, doing everything they can to protect the delicate, irreplaceable artwork. Nevertheless, when French President Nicolas Sarkozy visited the site in 2010 to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the cave's discovery, one local muttered that the visit marked the funeral service for Lascaux. In 1994, 
Jean-Marie Chauvet spent Christmas the way he spent most weekends of his life, spelunking through the caves of France, trying to stumble upon another hidden treasure. With no archaeological training, Chauvet spent most of his life working as a hardware store clerk before earning a role as a park ranger for the Ministry of Culture. For nearly 30 years, Jean-Marie Chauvet explored every nook and cranny of southern France, following river valleys in search of the undiscovered hole in the ground which would give up its secrets. Late in the evening, on December 18th, Chauvet and two of his friends were exploring a cave when they felt a small draft of warm air. One of Chauvet's companions, following the warm air, caught a glimpse in the dark of a few crude lines of paint. She gasped and called out to the others, They have been here! The path they followed was a maze, sloping horizontally here, forcing you to crawl up over there, slither over your belly, and watch your head. Eventually, the claustrophobic tunnel opened up into a large cavern nearly 30 feet tall. As one prehistoric art historian would later write, they hit the jackpot. Eager not to repeat the mistakes of their ancestors, Chauvet and his friends called up the authorities right away. Within a few days, France's leading authority on prehistoric cave art was crawling into the cavern to take a look. These were hidden masterpieces that nobody had laid eyes on for thousands and thousands of years, the art historian said, and I was the first specialist to see them. I had tears in my eyes. For over 1,300 feet, hundreds of incredibly vivid, incredibly sophisticated animal drawings cover the walls. These are no crude outlines. They are breathtakingly accurate depictions of lions, panthers, bears, even ancient rhinoceroses. But once again, the prehistoric artists focused on the horse. What's more astonishing than the amount of the paintings is the age of the paintings. What would soon come to be known as the Chauvet paintings turned out to be twice as old as the paintings in Lascaux. As early as 30,000 years ago, humans began gathering in the vast caverns and appear to have spent a great amount of time there over the next 5,000 years. Archaeologists discovered the remains of ancient hearths, the smoke stains from torches still remaining on the wall, and most haunting of all, the footprints of a child, as well as those of a bear. In the Chauvet Caves, the ancestors of France communed with spirits through their art, and nearly a third of the time they did so by painting horses. One monumental work spans a whole wall with horse head etched next to horse head, complex line work and engraving tracing the smallest details of the animal. What's more, the caves of Chauvet introduced modern-day scientists to a dazzling array of prehistoric horses. Extensive DNA studies by modern-day geneticists and zoologists have confirmed the prehistoric existence of a strange spotted horse, 
just like the kind painted on the cave walls. As one scientist wrote to the National Academy of Sciences, cave art is more realistic than often suggested. But prehistoric humans didn't paint horses just because they were there. As Jean Clot, the first specialist to visit the Chauvet Caves, told Smithsonian Magazine, you must imagine the area of 30,000 years ago. In those days, you might have had one family of 20 people living there, the next family 12 miles away. It was a world of very few people living in a world of animals. Jean-Claude believes that the artists invoked animal spirits for a variety of reasons. As he says, these animals were full of power, and the paintings are images of power. If you get in touch with the spirit, it is not out of idle curiosity. Having learned their lesson from the tragedy at Lascaux, authorities sealed off the Chauvet Caves almost immediately after their discovery, and access is restricted to no more than 200 people per year. One of those people, the filmmaker Werner Herzog, assembled a film crew of four to capture the art for his documentary, Cave of Forgotten Dreams. The documentary was released in 3D to help viewers understand the way in which the contours and topography of the cave itself is integrated into the artwork. Yet a film can only go so far. If the public couldn't come into the caves, where could they go instead? In 2015, the Caverne du Pont d'Arc a massive 3D replica of the caves open to the public. It represents a staggering amount of time, research, and money. It is the largest cave replica ever built and the most precise. Using 3D models, scientists scanned every painting, every bone, every calcium deposit, every footprint within three millimeters of accuracy. Then, Artists painstakingly recreated and painted every surface of the cave itself. Modern visitors now have the ability to experience the cave art for themselves without causing any damage to the actual cave, which is located nearby. After our own hubris nearly destroyed the fragile beauty of the Lascaux Caves, Scientists and conservationists hope replicas can capture the wonder of the original cave art. But as art historians frequently argue amongst themselves, is it even possible to comprehend the thoughts of a culture so distant from our own? Will the replica, as stunningly accurate as it may be, allow us to connect with the artists who hunted, raised families, and prayed here? As Werner Herzog asks in his film, will we ever be able to understand the vision of these artists across such an abyss of time? An hour and a half south, galloping across the same territory they've occupied since the prehistoric artists of Chavot were grinding their paints, the horses of Camargue continue to draw admirers. Throughout the year, tourists come to the 
otherwise unremarkable wetlands to catch glimpses of the herds of wild horses running freely through the water. After 30,000 years, wild horses still capture our imagination. According to Marsha Levine, an expert in prehistoric horses at the University of Cambridge, it is one of the universal elements of the human experience. As she puts it, horses have potent symbolic meanings in all the cultures where they are found, including ours. Thanks for listening to The Land of Desire. I'll be posting some photographs and additional content on the show's website at www.thelandofdesire.com. But I have homework for all of you this week. Watch Werner Herzog's incredible documentary, Cave of Forgotten Dreams. It's available to stream on Netflix right now, and it's amazing. I feel like an idiot for missing it when the film was released in IMAX and 3D. That must have been spectacular. If any of you listening have visited the cave reproductions, or, because anything is possible, if any of you have ever actually been inside the Lascaux Caves when they were open to the public, please visit the show's Facebook page and tell me all about it. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, au revoir!